If you've been following along with us, we've been moving through the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 5, and we've come to Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24, a very popular topic in today's culture, in our society today, non-controversial at all, and so, yeah, you probably covet my position right now, that I get to speak on this. But God's word is very clear on the subject of wives and their relationship to their husbands. So that's the topic that we've come to in Ephesians chapter 5. I really encourage you, if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it so that you would see the words in front of you as I read them. I don't want you to be convinced that this is my opinion or that this is what the pastor thinks outside of what God's Word says. I want to show you from the Scriptures, from God's Word itself, that this is what the Bible says. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24, and you can put your finger there to mark it. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, we have hardback Bibles in the seats in front of you underneath that you can use. It's really important that you see this in the Scriptures. Now, now that your finger is in Ephesians 5, 22 to 24... What I hope to show you at the very beginning of this message is that this principle comes to us in the very beginning of the Scriptures. It doesn't start here in Ephesians 5. But I'd like you to turn in your Bibles now all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. So if you would, you know, stick a finger, a a piece of gum, a paper wrapper in Ephesians 5 and go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. We start back in the beginning to look at how God created man, the human race, the genders that he created, and the roles that each of them plays. Uh, I have it on the screen too. There's a cheat code for you right there. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is the very beginning. The sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Notice first the plural pronoun used there. This is our hint, our first hint in the scriptures. Well, actually the first hint is in chapter 1, verse 1. This is another hint in the scriptures of the plurality of God in his persons. God is one God in essence and three persons. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's interesting to note that even something in the way that we are created reflects the persons of God and their relationship to one another. Interesting to know. So, okay, we read on. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we were created to rule. On God's behalf. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And if you go down to verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So notice, from the very beginning, we see order. We see design. 
Who is our creator? It is God. So who are we accountable to? Who is the human race accountable to? They are accountable to God and his word. And God creates one race. One race. It's the human race. Every person, male or female, is created in the image of God. We are created to reflect him in some way. But notice there are only two genders designated. Go back to verse 27, and you see there is male and female. So from the very beginning, one human race created in the image of God, two genders clearly distinct from one another, and this is God's design. Now if you go to chapter 2, chapter 2 goes into further detail in the creation of these two persons, the male and the female. We notice in chapter 2, when he gets into further detail, that we notice there is an order in which they're created. They're not both created at once. They're not created in the same means. We see that man is created first. In verse 7 of chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So ladies, you're right. Men, they're just pieces of dirt, aren't they? And so we start right from the very beginning. Man created from dust. So we have a man, but we don't have the woman yet. And actually, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about how the order helps us understand the roles of the man and the woman. We see that man is created first as signifying his headship in the relationship. Man is the leader in the relationship. And then we have woman who was made from man. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. There you are, ladies. God and his design and his role for you designed you to be a helper. A helper. That's the descriptive word talking about the woman's role in the relationship. Helper. Do you know who else is also called a helper? God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. So just knowing the, your role as helper and comparing that to God the Holy Spirit, that's an honorable role, isn't it? It in some ways reflects God the Spirit. And we'll see later how it reflects God the Son as well in him subjecting himself to his Father's will. So what did the Lord do? He saw that he wanted to make a helper fit for the man. And look at verse 21. We're still in Genesis. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God made, or that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then we get to the, the PG-13 part, okay? Verse 23. This is the, the marriage union. Then the man said, he's looking at the woman that God had made for him, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
In the very beginning, we see God ordained the first marriage of the human race. Man becoming one flesh with a woman. There's unity and there's distinctiveness that we see from the very beginning, the foundation, God's original blueprint, his original plan is that a man would join with a woman, two distinct genders joined together in a unifying relationship, but with distinct roles in the relationship. And this is God's blueprint, his plan from the very beginning. Now, uh, engineers, contractors, architects, they will be familiar with red lines on the plans or on the blueprints. Some of you are, are recognize this because you're in the industry. Let me explain for those of you who are not. The original drawings or blueprints for a building or for a structure are sent through a variety of processes. It's sent through a variety of persons who look at the original plans and they start to redline them. They start to circle things that are mistakes or deviations or corrections that need to be made and they do it with a red pen so that it's noted and it's documented. It goes through health code enforcement, subcontractors. All these edits are made in red and the end product is so far, <laughs> ends up being so far from the original plan, ends up being so far from the original blueprints that were sent out. Um, it kind of looks like your math homework after it's been graded, okay? This is similar, right? Corrections, edits made in red. Understand the audacity, the audacity of our culture today is that they believe they can redline God's original plans. Culture today believes that they can receive this word from God, which is explicit and clear, and circle the part that says male and female and say, God, I don't know if you knew this, but there are actually more genders than two. Culture today, society today, can take God's plan, God's plan, and say, you know, God, actually, there's a correction, there's an edit that needs to be made here, because I think the marriage relationship works not only between a man and a woman, but a man and a man, and a woman and a woman. So I'm going to just circle that and make a corrective note here. You know, culture and society takes the original plan of God, and, and they have the audacity to say, God, you got the marriage roles totally swapped. You messed up on this one. The woman should have been created before the man, signifying her headship. And God, you need to make that edit. Who do we think we are? Who does culture and society think they are to redefine or re-edit or rewrite God's plan? God's blueprint from the very beginning. And I wanted you to see this in, in Genesis because this echoes throughout the scriptures. God is not unclear in his defining of the genders. He's not unclear in his defining of the roles between a man and a woman. This isn't just a cultural thing. This was established in the beginning, in the beginning, and the Bible is, you know, a collection of writings over 2,000 years that all agree and affirm each other. You see it in the beginning. You see it all the way close to the end where we're at in Ephesians. God's word is clear. And how can we approach God's design, God's plan with our own ideas, with our feelings, and redline them, correct them? We have no right. And so the question for us this morning as we approach a very countercultural theme in Scripture, 
is are we going to submit to God's plan or are we going to reject it and go our own way? So again, now I ask you, you know, you had your finger or the piece of gum or the wrapper in Ephesians 5. Turn back to Ephesians 5. I wanted to establish a foundation before we go to this very explicit but controversial text this morning. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray before we move on, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, it is, uh, it is a clear text, it is explicit, but it is difficult, especially living in a world and a society that has flipped the roles, uh, living in a world that has redlined your plans, God, that has um, had the audacity to think that they can do it their own way. Lord, help us to not follow the culture. Help us to not follow the world, but to follow your word and to respond in submission to your word. God, I pray that you would bring this difficult truth to life and that it would pierce our hearts and in this day cause us to be conformed to your word and not to this world. Lord, I pray for the wives in this room. I'm so thankful for them, God, and, and the women that you've created in your image, the women that you esteem, the women that you honor. I pray that they would, Lord, respond to this text and live out their role. And God, that you would be glorified in that, that you would be pleased, that it would be a a pleasing aroma to you, a worship to you, God. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's first go to the command. The command, we see in the text, it's pretty explicit in our English version of the Bible. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, we have to remember the previous text. What did we talk about last week? We talked about the command of being filled with the Spirit and that the result of being filled with the Spirit was that we would edify one another in praise and worship, that we would be thankful for everything in all ways, verse 20, and that we would submit to one another in verse 21. This is mutual submission. This is brother and sister, brother and brother, sister and sister, that we would defer in some ways, to one another. And then the Apostle Paul uses verse 21 to transition to the subject of wives in relation to their husbands. And so, actually, the Apostle Paul borrows the participle from verse 21 and applies it here. The, the Greek says, in wives to your own husbands, implying submission. And he makes it very clear, again, in verse 24, when the word submit is actually uh, inserted there. So, but what I want you to understand is that we don't see this command just here. We see this command in other places as well. 
I'm going to put them on the screen. You have Colossians 3.18, which is clear, says, Wives, submit to your husbands. 1 Peter 3.1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Titus 2, 4-5 talks about the older women training the younger women to be submissive to their own husbands. And so this is in other places of Scripture as well. We have much clarity, very explicit in Scripture. The word submit or the verb submit is a unique word. We talked about it a little bit last week. It means to voluntarily place yourself under another, to do it willingly. I want you to notice, well, first, you have to understand everybody submits to someone, right? Even us as men, we submit to someone. Everyone, according to James 4, 7, submits to God. We all submit to God, and we don't have any problem with that, do we? Everyone is called to submit, to voluntarily place themselves under the government. Did you know that? Romans 13, we're called to submit to the government. Everyone is in the church. Members are called to submit to church leadership, to the pastors, to the elders. That's in Hebrews 13, 7. And then we have last week, everyone is called to, in some ways, submit to one another, to defer to one another. So submission is not for females only, okay? And it's not only for the women. But in our passage this morning, the the subject is explicit. It's talking about wives. So we'll deal with this command in its context. And, And notice what this command does not say, too. It does not say, husbands, bring your wives into submission. In fact, that is not stated anywhere in the scriptures. I don't know where that idea has come from in certain church cultures. Certain church cultures, you're talking with a man, brother, you need to bring your wife into submission. That's anti-biblical. That is not the command in this text. The call is for wives to voluntarily bring themselves into submission. So notice the subject. You know what the command does not say also? It does not also say women submit to all men. Who are they called to submit to? Wives submitting to their own husbands. This passage specifies the marriage relationship. It doesn't talk about other relationships. The wife is not to submit to other husbands. She's not to submit to other men outside of her husband, unless it's clearly ordered in the scripture, like government or, you know, a wife as a member submitting to her pastors, her elders. But she is called explicitly to submit to her own husband. This is the marriage relationship. It also does not say, women, obey your husband. (laughs) Women, obey. No, no, no. This is a different verb. It is not the same as a child-parent relationship. This is not the same as a slave and master relationship. Husbands ought not to treat their wives that way. They are to treat their wives with respect, honor, as joint heirs, co-heirs in Christ. They are equal Yet, in their role, the wives voluntarily place themselves under their husbands. The marriage relationship is unique. Submission does not mean oppression. Submission does not mean stay quiet. Submission does not mean inferior or less than. It's not misogynistic. It's not chauvinist. It's not demeaning or against women. 
but it helps them to understand their role in marriage, to, volunteer, to voluntarily, willingly place themselves under the God-given authority of their husband, not because he forces you, not because you're less than, but because it's your design, your role, and the way in which you glorify God in your marriage. And God said, by the way, remember, the design is very good. Very good. Now, we knew this would be a problem from the very beginning. We knew this would be a a hot topic in culture. We knew that society would generally reject this principle, this command. You know, the feminist movement did not spawn out of the United States. It did not start in the mid-19th century. It came out of a garden, and it actually is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3. God told us that this would be a problem, that men and women would be fighting, wrestling with their roles with one another. He told us this from the very beginning. I, I want you to see in Genesis chapter 3, it'll be up on the screen, I want you to see this in the text. Genesis 3.16, you know the story. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent deceives Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. And Eve takes the fruit and she eats it. Then what does Eve do? She gives it to her husband, Adam, and he eats it as well. Both sinned. And so in response to their sin, God dishes out a curse. Consequences for sin. And the consequences are severe. And so he addresses the serpent first, and then he addresses the woman in verse 16, as we see here. He looks to Eve and he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And any of you moms out there say, Amen. It hurts. And then notice what the Lord says to Eve next. He says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What is the Lord saying there? That that word or the Hebrew word, desire shall be contrary, it's that the woman, the wife, would desire control in place of her husband. Or she would desire the position of her husband. But, he says, he shall rule over you. And that word for rule is domineer. It means it's kind of like a tyrannical ruler. So what does God say from the very beginning? He says there's going to be a battle of the sexes for the rest of history here on earth. Women are going to want control of their husbands, and men are going to abuse their control and be domineering. Neither will fulfill their role, and both will do exactly what God does not want them to do. And this will be a problem. And so we see from the very beginning, because of sin, because of the curse, there are consequences even as men and women see their role and live out their role. We've seen this throughout history. There are so many red-lined plans. Men and women rejecting God's design, rejecting His plan, and doing it their own way. The question for you this morning, again, I ask, what will you do, wives? What will you do? Or maybe some of you young women who desire to one day marry, will you submit or do things your own way? Notice next, point number two, the motivation. 
it's always good to remember, why am I doing this? Why will I submit myself to this beast, this monster who lives with me? Remember the why. Remember the why. Do not read past this crucial phrase. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. This is a supreme modifier. You attach as to the Lord to any command of Scripture, and we should because we want to do all things to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, but you attach as to the Lord to any command, it goes from duty to delight. It goes from barbaric to beautiful. It goes from work to worship. Ladies, fulfill your role as to the Lord to glorify him, to worship him. If I told you to prepare your home as you would prepare for guests, you might sweep the floors, you might mop, you might clean the bathrooms, you might pick up the junk and organize the house. You'll make it presentable, right? But if I were to tell you, hey, prepare your home as you would for a photo shoot in Better Home and Garden. You better believe I'd find you on all fours scrubbing your grout with a toothbrush. You would make that extra clean, wouldn't you? If it's going to be in a photo shoot, it's going to be in this magazine. You will devote extra time to make it clean. The principle is similar. Ladies, you are called, wives, called to submit to your husbands, not as to a police officer, not as to a judge, but as to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is for him, Jesus, not him, your husband, ultimately. Wives, I'd like you to write this down. Women who desire to one day marry. Submission is an act of worship. Submission is an act of worship to the Lord. It is not mere duty. It is not your job merely. It is worship to the highest king. I like what Honer writes in his commentary here. He writes, The wife's submission is seen supremely or exclusively to Christ. And her submission to her husband is the mere occasion of or training ground for her higher allegiance to Jesus. Listen, wives. Don't submit to your husband because he deserves it. Most likely he probably doesn't. Don't submit to your husband in order to have him treat you better. Or don't submit to him so that he'll keep you around longer. Don't submit to him because it's your duty, your job, or just because the Bible tells you so. You submit to him as to the Lord. To worship Christ. That he would be delighted. That he would be pleased. That your heart would be joyful, not because it makes your husband happy, but it makes Christ happy. And if that is your motivation... I'm convinced if you know Christ, wives, that you will say in your heart of hearts, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll submit to this man because you've asked me to. And you've asked me to do it as to the Lord. I'll submit to him even when it's hard. Even when it's seemingly impossible. Even when he doesn't deserve it. Not for him. Not even for me. But for you, God. That is our motivation. 
when we obey the Scriptures, to surrender, to submit to Christ supremely for His glory. And we know when we do things for His glory, it is ultimately for our good. So this is, should be your motivation, wives. Just remind yourself of that phrase, as to the Lord, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. It's not for Him, it's for Christ. So when the marriage is on the rocks, when your husband is a beast, will you trust God and His Word? Will you fulfill your role as to the Lord? All right, we move to the other two verses now. There's one analogy given and then two comparisons. One analogy, two comparisons made in this analogy. The analogy is of Christ and his church. Christ the groom and his church, his bride. There's no question that Christ loves the church. Amen? We all believe that. Jesus loves us. He loved the church, in fact, so much that he gave his life for the church. There's a little sneak peek, husbands, into next week. Wives, make sure your husbands come back. So it's their turn next week. And there's no, no question for us that we as the church submit to Christ, right? We come under his authority, his leadership. We do that willingly. He's our savior. He is our king. He is our beloved groom, a most worthy and honorable groom. And we look forward to his return, our reunion with him in heaven. And there will be a sweet marriage supper of the lamb. Let's look, let's look ahead at this, Revelation 19, 7. In verse 9, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Who's him? Christ, our groom. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, who's the bride? The church, has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is a beautiful relationship between Christ the groom and his church, the bride. There is a beautiful relationship, isn't there, Christian? You know it, between you and your Savior. He loves you and gave his life for you. And you gladly, joyfully submit to him out of love and respect and honor to him. I can't think of a more beautiful illustration of the relationship between a husband and a wife than that of Christ and his church. And we see here in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33, all the way through the passage, that these relationships kind of jockey back and forth. You read the whole section Verses 22 to 33, and you think to yourself, wait a minute, is this more about Christ and his relationship with the church or a husband and his relationship to his wife? I, I can't tell because there's so much that God tells us in both. And he compares the two, compares the two to help us understand what it means, husbands, for you to love your wives sacrificially. What it means, wives, for you to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. And so... We see this analogous relationship between the two, but specifically for the wives, we see two comparisons made. Two comparisons made, one in verse 23 and the other in verse 24. We see a comparison made in role and a comparison made in responsibility. So there's a similarity between the role of the wife to her husband and the role of the church to her savior. And there's a similarity in the responsibility then of the wife to her husband as the responsibility of the church to her groom, Christ. So the first comparison, the role. I want you to see the similarity here. 
the comparison that's made. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as, here's the comparison, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So the husband has this God-given role of head over the wife, just as Christ has the God-given role of head over the church. What does it mean to be the head? The head, what does that mean here? Well, we can know what it means by looking at Christ's headship, because that's something nobody's going to argue with. Nobody's going to argue that Christ is head of the church. I I at least hope you won't, or you're worshiping a different Christ. But let's look at what it means that Christ is head. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, same book. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. It explains what Christ's headship means. Ephesians 1, 21 says this, Christ, in the context, was seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You notice where I place the emphasis. What does it mean to be head in the relationship? It is a position. It is simply put, a position. And to be head in the relationship is the position over the other in the relationship. It's a position of authority. It's a position of leadership. Christ is the clear authority and leader of the church, amen? We believe that. He's called the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5. He's even over the elders. The buck doesn't stop with the elders of the church. The buck stops with Christ and his word. He's the clear leader. He's the head, the higher rank. All kinds of, ha- all kinds of problems happen when the church breaks rank, right? We've seen that in churches. All kinds of problems. When we decide to do things our way and not Christ. When elders and pastors decide they're the authority in the church, they're going to do things their way and not Christ's way. When a church doesn't submit to their elders and turns against them, there's all kinds of disorder, disunity, and all kinds of problems in the house of God. When we defy His design. Similarly, listen wives, All kinds of problems happen when the wife and children break rank in the family unit. When the wife becomes the head and the authority. When the children are running the house based on their desires, their wants, their feelings. They usurp the husband's role. Shaming him in front of the kids. Making decisions against him or behind his back. By the way, this is the premise of every sitcom in society today. Make the husband look dumb. Make him look like a bad leader so that it would elevate the woman's role in the relationship. We see culture doing this and all kinds of problems result out of that. There's all kinds of disorder, disunity in the family unit and problems when we defy God's design. Wives, you're called to come under your husband's God-given authority. 1 Corinthians 11.3 
says the same thing. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her what? Husband. And the head of Christ is God. Here's the chain of rank. Christ comes under his father. Every man and woman comes under Christ and every wife comes under her husband. Here's the problem. Culture ascribes value or importance to position. That's a problem. That's not how the Lord's economics work. The higher your rank, the higher your pay. Or the more valuable and important you are. That's not the Lord's economics. Men are not more important than women because of their position. Men are not of higher value in God's eyes because of their position. This is very important to hear. They are co-heirs. They are equal in the eyes of God in terms of their value created in the image of God and in their salvation. Look at these passages here. I want you to understand this. Wives are heirs. This word for heirs is joint heirs, co-heirs, with you, husbands, of the grace of life. One is not more important than the other. Don't think that for a minute. Don't ascribe to culture's economics. There's also no distinction in salvation. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Wives, submission is your role, but it doesn't determine your value. Your value is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your value as an image bearer of God is in what God sees you as, not what culture defines you as. You are his daughter. You're his treasure, his disciple, his prized possession. Do not fall into the cultural trap that attaches your value to your education or your value to your paycheck or to your status in society. Fulfill your role and honor Christ. He determines your value. And he says, you're a co-heir. You are a child. You are saved. You are one in my economic. Come under the headship of your husband. Let culture mock you. Let culture poke fun at you. Let them make fun of you. The last laugh is in heaven. Trust Christ. Trust his word and fulfill your role. The roles are different. We have a head and the body, the wife being the body and the husband being the head. And then we have a responsibility. A responsibility. The responsibility then flows from the role. This is who you are. Now, fulfill your responsibility, fulfill your role. Ephesians 5.24 Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. As we already said, the church does submit to Christ. He is our head. He is our authority. We love him. We trust him. We respect him. We come under his authority. We follow his leadership. And it's maybe at this point, wives, you're thinking to yourself, but my husband is not Jesus. Far from it. More like Judas, okay? No, I'm just kidding. 
you're not wrong. Your husband is not Jesus, okay? I don't claim to be that. No man should claim to even be close to him, right? So you could think in your heart, it's much easier. It would be much easier to submit to my husband if he were Christ, if he were perfect, if he did deserve it like Christ deserved it, if he was worthy of it like Christ is worthy of it. But wives, listen, the verse doesn't say, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit when their husbands act like Christ or when their husbands are super godly or just when they're worthy of submission. What does the passage say? It says wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I know at this point I am asking you to do something that is very difficult. Not me. God's word is asking you to do something that is very difficult because we live in a culture filled with abusive husbands, with men who are not fulfilling their role. So it is difficult for me, being a man, asking you as wives to submit to God's word, fulfill your role when I know a lot of your husbands are not. Like I said, bring them back next week because there's more punches to be dished out here, okay? And they need to hear God's word in their role. But listen, wives, your responsibility is not your husband's role, but yours, right? Before the Lord, and you're called to submit as to the Lord, not based on his performance or to please him. And you're called to submit in everything, in everything, and I know this is difficult, but would you trust God's word and apply it? You might think to yourself, but what if my husband's disobedient? What if he's not a believer? What if he's rude? What if he doesn't care for me in the way he should? What do I do then? Still submit? Look at 1 Peter 3, 1 to 2. I have it up on the screen, but if you want to see it in the Bible... I encourage you to turn there. 1 Peter 3, 1-2. What if my husband blank? Look at what this says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may still be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Wow. What a challenge from the Word of God. Even if they're disobedient to the Word. The challenge from Scripture is to still submit that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Listen, wives, what does this verse tell you? It says your, your husband can be won. And he can be won out of his disobedience, not by your nagging. Not without the constant verbal reminders of what a failure he is. No, how is your husband won? Without a word, by your conduct. Wow. The effectiveness of a wife who fulfills her role even when her husband doesn't. Ladies, I encourage you, if you're thinking about your husbands, you're like, man, I know he's not fulfilling his role. I encourage you to look at this passage, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, and apply it in your life. And watch the Lord change him. Pray for him every day. 
Submit to God's word and watch him work through the word. Do, do you believe what the word says? Do you believe God's word? Then live it out, apply it. You want your husband to be better, a more godly leader? You want to heap coals onto his head? When he comes home and he's fired up, he's being totally selfish, rude, inconsiderate. You want to heap hot coals on his head? Be kind, respectful, and honorable in response to his behavior. And like Paul Washer said, he'll go out to the shed and beat himself over the head multiple times with a two-by-four because he'll feel like such a dunce. The Lord does that. The Lord does that to us as husbands. Oh man, it is so humiliating. And such a sweet reminder when I am a dork and I'm selfish and I come in and I, I want my thing, but my wife responds in a godly manner. Oh, I'm done. All right, I, I get it. I'm a sinner. I'm a wreck. I need to go talk to God <laughs> and ask forgiveness for my sins. Watch the Lord work through it. You know, the Lord knows what each of us needs. The Lord knows. The Lord knows, wives, that you need love. The Lord knows that. You, you need love from your husbands. And we're going to talk about that next week. You need to know that he loves you. That you are your husband's treasure. That he has eyes for you and no one else. And whether that's displayed through acts of service, whatever your love language is, acts of service, affection, words of affirmation, at the end of the day, you need to know that you are loved even when you don't deserve it. Even when you're difficult. You want him to love you unconditionally as Christ loves the church. The Lord knows you need that. And that's why he's going to exhort your husband to do that next week. But listen, wives, your husband needs respect. He needs to know that you look to him as a leader, that you honor him, that you'll follow him, that you'll be by his side through thick and thin, pay raise, pay cut. When everything else goes away, all his employees are gone, all his friends are gone, you're still there by his side, his greatest helper, his greatest friend, his greatest confidant. He needs your respect even when he doesn't deserve it. That's what the Lord calls us to. So, we can't help but end with the example of the Lord Jesus. I often say this when I, when I uh, or, ordain marriages. Um, I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but I perform the, the marriage and, you know, as the pastor. You, you know what I'm saying. I see some of you nod. Thanks for helping me. Um, I often say this as I'm addressing the wife and I'm, I'm calling her to submit as the scriptures do. I often say, listen, wives, the Lord does not ask you to do something that he himself is unwilling to do. We see the Lord Jesus Christ be the perfect and ultimate example of this. He did what? He humbled himself, taking the form of a, a man, a slave, a servant, and was a servant to all, right? But he did so out of obedience to the point of death. He submitted to the will of his own father. And so wives, if you're looking for motivation, again, you submit as to the Lord. You submit like the Lord. You, you come uh, under your husband as Jesus Christ came under his father. And you do so willingly because Christ, because Christ, because Christ, not him, not for you, but Christ. 
So, will you submit to God's word? Or will you reject it and go your own way? The way of culture, the way of society. And guys, just wait for next week. I'll stop picking on the wives and start picking on the husbands who really need it too. And so, I encourage you to come back next week. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, again, we just ask that you would conform our hearts to your word and not to the world. Lord, I pray that you would settle the concerns and questions of our minds with your word. God, I'm a weak vessel. I fail every day. I fail to fulfill my role, Lord. So I, I just I approach your word in humility and even others in humility as I preach, knowing that I'm a failure. I'm not preaching out of perfection. I'm not preaching because I've arrived, Lord. I'm a failure. I, I've failed in my role. God, so I just ask that we would all have that same humility. We would come to your word. No, we are sinners. We often go our own way, but Lord, help us by your strength to go your way, to defy culture, and to submit to your word and what it says. I pray for our beloved wives. May the Lord, that they would apply this text today, fulfill their role, and honor you, glorify you in that. In Jesus' name, amen.